Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it might be that you are listening to this Thursday edition of the Illuminated Word Podcast. As always, I'm David McLean, and our reading today is going to come from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. John writes, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Jesus replied, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where to come from, though of course the servants knew, He called the bridegroom over and said, A host always serves the best wine first, and then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Here we are coming to Christmas time. We are uh, a week and a half-ish away from Christmas, and we've been focusing on the the birth narratives of Jesus in our podcast. And yet today we're in John chapter 2, Jesus' first miracle, first recorded miracle in the Gospel of John. Well, why? Well, first of all, John doesn't have a birth narrative of Jesus. He doesn't cover all that. He jumps right into it. His story starts with, in the very beginning of time, there was Jesus Christ, the Word. And Jesus was with the Almighty God, and the Word was God. But that word came to earth and dwelt among his people. And Jesus decided to surround himself with 12 men who would live with him and be his best friends on this earth. But to simply say that Jesus is the word and came from God was not enough to convince those around him and those reading the account of his life. So there had to be miracles. So John in his gospel moves from the calling of the disciples into the very first sign that Jesus performed. He moved very rapidly from Jesus was in the beginning, Jesus came to live among his people, he calls his disciples, and now he jumps into the very first sign that Jesus performed. But why does John call them signs? I mean, all the other writers call them miracles or wondrous works. So why does John choose to call them signs? Well, it's because John is writing for a different reason than Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John, from the very beginning, is pointing us to the destiny of Jesus, which is the cross. If you were to read the Gospel of John for the first time, you know from the very beginning what was going to happen to Jesus. Whereas if you read the other Gospels, you'd have to continue to read uh, to follow the story. But John tells us from the beginning what's going to happen to Jesus. And then he shows us how everything that Jesus did in the three years that he ministered led to the crucifixion of our Lord. So when Matthew, Mark, and Luke call them miracles or wondrous works, they want you to be in awe of the heavenly power that Jesus has, amazed at his deity. But when John calls them signs, he wants you to not so much be amazed, but to understand where Jesus is headed during his ministry, to see the humanity of Jesus, 
which is something we don't like too much. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth. We celebrate the manger scene. We celebrate the stories that we've heard all of our lives. We don't want to think about Jesus as an adult, the ridicule, the rejection, the scorn he'll face. We surely don't want to think about the suffering and the death he has. But we have to celebrate all of Jesus because without the death, without the resurrection, the death meant nothing. Without the death, the birth meant nothing. And so to understand another dimension of who Jesus is, you have to take consideration what John does in his gospel. And we have to notice an interesting quote of Jesus. See, in, in, in this gospel, when Jesus calls Nathaniel, Nathaniel believes that Jesus is the Son of God simply because Jesus knew who he was before he came to him. Jesus is surprised that Nathaniel believes so easily and tells him that he will see greater things than this. But then he adds this whole angels ascending and descending. What What does that mean? Is there some great escalator in the sky? Well, this is a direct reference to an Old Testament character, Jacob, who in Genesis 28, 12 has a dream in which he sees the angels of God ascending and descending on a stairway stretched from heaven to earth. And here is where God makes his promise to Jacob that Jacob's descendants will be spread all over the promised land. And the ultimate promise is that God will be with them, dwelling among them and protecting them. Now, fast forward a few thousand years, and and here you have in verse 51 of chapter 1, John writing about Jesus, talking about these angels ascending and descending. Now you have Jesus saying the same thing that God promised to Jacob. So, So what does this mean? Well, what Jesus is telling them is that his disciples will see what God promised. Jacob, so many years before, had this promise, and now his disciples are going to see it right in front of them. They'll see the dream that Jacob had, though it's not going to be a dream, it would be real. What John is telling us is that God promised Jacob that he would dwell among his people, and Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. God, through Jesus, has descended from heaven and is now among his people. So the Jesus that we worship is not just some person who did some amazing things and then died an awful death. He, he is the point in which the God who created the universe emptied himself and came to dwell among his people. But if you had never heard that, and I told you, you probably wouldn't believe it. So John says, don't take my word for it. Let me show you how Jesus was all this and more. And here enters the first of seven signs that Jesus performs. And so, back to our reading, Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding feast in Cana. Jesus' mother Mary was also there, probably serving at the feast. And Jesus and his crew was probably sitting, minding their own business, when suddenly the wine ran out. Now, we need to understand why this was such a big deal. See, wedding feasts would last up for up to a week, and there had to be plenty of food and drink to supply for all the guests. To run out of wine, the main drink they had for meals, was to show a lack of preparation and was a slap in the face of the guests. It was pure embarrassing for the bride and groom of their, and their families. And here they are, out of wine. So Mary goes over to Jesus and simply says they have no more wine. In other words, Jesus, son, bail us out here. Now whether she was expecting a miracle from him or what, I don't know. But I know that Mary simply said to Jesus, we are out of wine. And Jesus replies, dear woman, this doesn't involve us. My time has not yet come. Now there are debates over what this statement means and translations differ 
But the fact that Jesus is referring to his mother as woman is not an insult. In the Greek, there's not uh, there's no negative connotation to it. So modern translations have tried to add a certain politeness to it. But what Jesus is saying is basically, Mom, why are you coming to me? Well, she was coming to him in hopes that he would fix the problem, redeem the people there, save them from their embarrassment, pull them out of the problem they found themselves in. And Jesus says, my time has not yet come, though. This is the first time this phrase occurs, which each time pointing us to the ultimate destiny of Christ, again, which is what John is pointing us to from the very beginning. And that was the cross, which was when his time would come. That would be the time that Jesus would redeem the people. That's when he would pull them out of their predicament, save the lost. It was on the cross that Jesus would do exactly what Mary and the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus wanted, and that is to give the people more than what they already had. He told the Samaritan woman that even though she was literally thirsty, he would give her water that would make her thirst no more. Nicodemus wanted to know how to become a disciple, and Jesus tells him he must be born again to die to himself, which culminates in the crucifixion. But you get to those later as you read John right here in our reading. Mary wanted Jesus to give them more than what they had, and Jesus said his time had not come, but he took care of the problem anyways. I believe that Mary was probably astonished when Jesus did what he did. I mean, he he, he took this water and turned it into wine. She was probably expecting him to provide a little wine to make it through the day, or perhaps she expected him to go round up some wine and bring it back. But Jesus took six jars containing water and turned it all into wine. And this water was not just regular water. It was part of their ceremonial washing, so it was dirty water. It was dirty feet water. Jesus turned dirty feet water into the best wine they'd ever had. Jesus took regular old nasty feet water and made it into more than they could have imagined. And that water didn't come in contact with anything like that would need to ferment it. The water was just poured into the jars, and just like that, it became wine. There's no other explanation. This people, people will try to explain away the sign just like uh, every other sign. And the Pharisees tried to do the same thing back in the day. But, but John is telling us that there is no other explanation other than Jesus Christ took water and boom, it became wine. And not just any old wine, but when the person in charge tasted the wine, he declared that it was better than the best wine they had already served. The wine just a few minutes earlier had been nasty, dirty water, and it was better than the wine that they had had before. Jesus has power over quality. Sometimes we find ourselves backed in a corner where we are in need, and it seems like it's the end of the world, and we hit our knees and we cry out, Jesus, I need fill in the blank. It may be the only time we pray that day, but we need that certain thing. And what Jesus says is, you don't need this. You, you need what I can give you, which is far better than anything you could ever provide for yourself. You think you need security in life, but let me give you the hope of eternal life. You think you need more money, but let me give you everything you need and you will be far more satisfied. You think you need happiness right now. Let me give you joy that you can feel even when you're not happy with things. What Jesus has and what he can give to us is far greater than anything we've ever had in our lives. And don't just take my word for it. Read the story for yourselves. When these people had a need, Jesus didn't just feed the need and give them some regular old wine. He gave them what was probably the best that they ever had. And verse 11 says that his disciples believed in him. The sign was the first. And through this sign, Jesus' glory was revealed. This is where 
the world starts seeing that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. The show, it was shown when he showed his power over the quality of things on this earth and the disciples put their faith in him. When we talk about faith at Christmas time, what do we truly mean? This idea that the disciples believed in Jesus, they put their disciple, their faith in him, they saw him, they encountered him, they watched him do something incredible, and they believed. They responded with faith. So another thing that John calls us to do is to respond to Jesus as the disciples and other did, others did in his story. We read this story, but how do we respond? Do we respond with doubt? Do we nod our head and go, mm, that's really good, and then walk away like we never read it before? Or like the disciples, do we read this story? And does it push us to believe even more in the, the word that made his dwelling among us? Thank you for listening, not just today, but each time you listen to The Illuminated Word. Our hope is that this podcast encourages you each time. Maybe you learned something new you didn't know before, but that it would encourage you to continue living your faith as you move uh, throughout your day. And of course, our prayer is also that you would see opportunities that God has opened for you each day to be a blessing to those around you in some form or fashion. And until next time you listen to the Illuminated Word, have a blessed day.